You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you like what we do here at the Redacted History Podcast, consider subscribing to the Patreon for exclusive content and just an extra level of support. The First Lady. A befitting title given to the wife of the President of the United States. But not for Edith Bowling Wilson. She preferred to be called Mrs. Woodrow Wilson, which is very fitting not only because they were married, but because some would say, during Woodrow Wilson's second term, she was every bit the president he was. But we've never had a woman president before, right? Well, at least not technically. I'm Andre, and this is the Redacted History Podcast. You see, Edith was Woodrow's right hand, his confidant, and partner in more ways than one. But who was Edith Bowling to advise the president? Was she a highly educated college graduate? Maybe the daughter of a Confederate general or a respected politician? No, none of those. Edith was born October 15, 1872, and raised in Wytheville, Virginia. Her family heritage stretches all the way back to some of the first people who settled in the Virginia area. Rumor has it, she is even a direct descendant of John Ralph and Matoica, a.k.a. Pocahontas, and related down the line to Thomas Jefferson and the hero of the Confederacy himself, Robert E. Lee. Her grandfather operated a plantation in this area that was lost shortly after the Civil War ended. As a result, Edith grew up in a packed house with various relatives, 11 siblings, a few dogs, and several canaries. Her childhood was filled with stories of a time before the Civil War and where her family was better off and slavery was in full swing. It comes as no surprise that later in her life, she would join the Confederate Memorial Literate Society and support efforts to erect Confederate statues If it's one thing she and Woodrow had in common, it was their undying love for the Confederacy. Edith's grandmother lived with him at the time, and she was actually paralyzed due to a horse riding accident. Edith was her favorite, and she called on Edith night and day as her aide. Being an aide to others would be a reoccurring theme in Edith's life. She loved her family, but wasn't exactly a fan of this packed arrangement. There was a whole world out there, and Edith had not seen very much of it. 
when the opportunity presented itself for her to visit her sister in Washington, D.C., she took it. The city was still growing and rebuilding at this point, but she loved the opportunity. Edith adapted to life in the city very quickly. She loved shopping, going to shows, and riding around town in her electric car. She was actually the first woman in D.C. to obtain a driver's license. She caught the attention of quite a few gentlemen, but was too busy living her best life. Eventually, she did settle down and married a wealthy jeweler named Norman Galt in 1896. She didn't exactly love him in that way, but he was a good friend and he treated her and her family with kindness. They had one son together in 1903, who died after just a few days of living. Several losses followed this one, including the loss of her husband, Mr. Galt himself. In 1908, Norman became sick and died suddenly. Edith leaned on her family for support at this time. She spent her time traveling the continent of Europe, shopping and managing her husband's businesses. She missed him, but was beginning to establish quite the name for herself. It is worth mentioning that during this time, Woodrow Wilson was already married to his first wife, Ellen Axon Wilson. They married in 1885. Back then, people knew him as Tommy because his first name is actually Thomas. As the first lady, Ellen hosted fun parties, added a rose garden, and desired to care for those less fortunate. She was described as nice, but quiet. Together, they had three daughters. It was a simple enough life, but halfway through Woodrow's first term, she became sick and died from kidney failure in 1914. On her deathbed, she asked Woodrow Wilson's doctor, Carrie Grayson, to take care of her husband. And he certainly would. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Woodrow Wilson had a lengthy and troubling medical history that not a lot of people talk about. Suffering from headaches, hypertension, difficulty seeing, and strokes throughout his adult lifetime. Wilson was serving as an instructor at Princeton in 1896 when he suffered his first stroke. In 1906, he suffered another serious stroke, one that left him nearly blind in his left eye. Wilson consulted a Philadelphia ophthalmologist as well as a doctor. The ophthalmologist urged Wilson to adopt a more sedentary life. However, Wilson sought the advice of another doctor, an internist, who thought that all Wilson needed was a few months of rest. Spoiler alert, he didn't rest. These two strokes were before he even entered the presidential office. He would suffer his third stroke in 1913 during his first term as president, from which he would recover. It would be Dr. Carrie Grayson, Edith, and a few other inner circle associates that would get him through his second term and the remainder of his life. But first, Dr. Grayson had to take care of Woodrow's broken heart. A dark cloud hung over the White House after Woodrow Wilson's first wife died. Wilson was a widower and an empty nester at the same time. He slipped deeper and deeper into sadness. 
only he and his cousin, Helen Bones, remained in the White House. Dr. Grayson went to Edith to convince her that Helen needed a friend. He knew Edith because he was consistently pursuing her much younger best friend, Alice Gertrude. They would later get married too. Edith wasn't nearly interested in making new friends, but Dr. Grayson wouldn't take no for an answer. He popped up at Edith's house one day with Helen, suggesting they all hang out. He made a good call because Edith and Helen hit it off and began to hang out regularly. Dr. Grayson also encouraged Wilson to spend more time outside golfing and going for drives. Being active would be good for his health and his heart. On one drive in particular, they rode past Edith. Dr. Grayson waved. Woodrow liked what he saw and asked him who that beautiful woman was. After that, it seemed like a plan was in motion. Her biography tells the story like this. One day, at the end of one of their usual hikes, Ellen invited Edith back to the White House for tea. Edith declined. They had been out and about and her boots were all muddy. She didn't look terrible, but definitely not her best. Helen insisted. They always had tea after their walks at Edith's house and she wanted to host this time. Plus, according to Helen, no one would be inside. The president was out golfing. Edith reluctantly changed her mind. But surprise, surprise, when the elevator doors opened, there stood Woodrow Wilson and Dr. Carrie Grayson. They all had tea together, and this was the start of everything. Woodrow Wilson was pressed. He invited Edith to everything after this and wrote to her all the time. After six weeks of knowing this woman, he proposed, but Edith declined. They barely knew each other, and she didn't exactly feel the same way. I mean, who would after six weeks? especially since his wife of almost 30 years hadn't even been dead a year. By today's standard, this would be considered a major red flag, but rather than running for the hills, Edith asked if he would give her some time to see if her feelings changed. Wilson agreed, but in the meantime, he sent her daily letters referring to her as his queen. Edith also continued to visit the White House regularly. He enjoyed telling her stories and his favorite jokes, racist jokes which he was known for enjoying. <laughs> oh, Woodrow. He also consulted her on political matters, for whatever reason. She even helped him draft and edit one of his letters to Germany. Mind you, this was the time that World War I was kicking off. He wanted Edith's opinion on everything, and Edith liked that. Eventually, she was on board with wanting to marry him, but she didn't really want to be the first lady. She agreed to marry him if he lost re-election, but she changed her mind again after they continued to spend time together and agreed to marry him regardless. They announced their engagement in October. At this point, they went public. Just so we're clear, they met in March and were engaged in October. I suppose seven months is better than six weeks. Rumors were already around town that Wilson had been seeing a mystery lady, and now the press wanted to know even more about this woman. Wilson was writing to Edith multiple times a day, sending her orchids and money. Naturally, this was a huge security risk. Woodrow's team became very concerned about Edith's influence and how this relationship could hurt his reelection. It didn't really look good that Wilson was head over heels for another woman when his first wife, Ellen, hadn't been in the ground a year yet. This was the beginning of the tension between some members of the cabinet and Edith. One man in particular, William McAdoo tried to delay the engagement and possibly break them up altogether. 
See, Wilson had this special friend, a woman named Mary Peck, that he would write to sometimes. He would even send money when she was in need. Some people even suspected that she would be the next first lady. McAdoo and his associates went to Wilson claiming that Mary Peck was jealous of him and Edith. This was all made up, by the way. But they underestimated just how serious Wilson was about Edith. Wilson went to Edith immediately and told her all about Mary. In the end, they decided to continue with the wedding. The wedding took place the evening of December 18, 1915, in Edith's home with close friends and family. No press allowed. In the middle of the night, they traveled to their undisclosed honeymoon location. The Secret Service ensured no pictures were taken. There was even an account of one journalist hiding under the floor to get a picture of the couple. All in all, they had a good time, but marital bliss wouldn't last long. It was time for both of them to get back to business. After all, there was the matter of the Great War and re-election. In 1916, Woodrow Wilson was narrowly re-elected and a few days later became sick. He asked Edith to conduct meetings on his behalf regarding World War I and the United States' involvement. Eventually, Wilson did approve and the country went to war. All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. Today could be the day a famous mobster met their end or the first milestone for humans in space. Who knows what history today holds? Find out when you listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. Edith was right by Wilson's side every step of the way, helping him draft letters, giving him advice on the war and other political matters. Matter of fact, anytime she was sick or indisposed, he still requested her input. No days off for Edith. They saw eye to eye on most things. One big difference was that Edith did not support the woman's suffrage movement, which was ironic considering how involved she were in her husband's political matters. But she did agree it was a wife's duty to support her husband. I guess to Edith, wives belonged behind the scenes and not at the ballot box. She even drove with Wilson once to vote in favor of women's suffrage, but waited in the car. This belief in standing by your man is her justification for her involvement when Woodrow became too sick to govern. She swears she never wanted to be president. She was just being a good and supportive wife, but not everyone would agree. Hopefully you remember from history class that World War I was won by the Allied powers, leaving the United States in a celebratory mood. Woodrow Wilson attended the Paris Peace Conference with Edith by his side. During one meeting, he flew into a coughing fit and was later diagnosed with a possible variant of the Spanish flu. When he returned home to continue speaking engagements against his wife and Dr. Grayson's advice, he suffered a massive stroke in October 1919. This was his fourth stroke, and it left his left side virtually unusable. Woodrow would slur his speech and suffered from severe exhaustion. It was critical that no one knew how sick he was. Dr. Grayson refused to reveal details about his condition. If people knew how sick he was, everything he was doing diplomatically and politically, including his work with the League of Nations, would be over. Edith and his doctor discouraged him from resigning and insisted that they could hide his condition and make things work so that he could still be president. Why not let the vice president take charge? Well, at that time, there was no clear protocol in the Constitution on who was in charge if the president was incapacitated. 
Kind of wild to think about the fact that this was never really outlined previously. I mean, it's 1919. It's been almost 150 years since the first president was elected. And no one ever thought about this? It's almost like the Constitution is a document that is meant to be ratified when appropriate, right? Unfortunately, the 25th Amendment establishing guidelines for secession would not be ratified until 1967. It was decided that any and all communication would filter through Edith. No one was allowed to meet with or see the president. Any news that would be too upsetting would not be passed along and any problems that could be resolved without the president should be. Edith did get his input when she could, but it is hard to know how often that really was. If you let her tell the story, she would say that she never made a single decision regarding the deposition of public affairs. However, she did have influence over what information could be relayed to her husband. Whose guidance were the people following? Edith's or Woodrow's? People began to suspect that the president was way sicker than Edith and Dr. Grayson were letting on and that she was secretly in charge. I mean, they weren't entirely wrong. She told everyone he was just suffering from exhaustion. Mind you, his stroke was in October 1919, and his term would not end for another year and a half until March 1921. That is a long time to be exhausted. He would get a little better over this time, but nothing like his previous strength. During this time, the KKK and racial violence in the country began to grow and grow and grow. Several cabinet members grew more and more frustrated with the lack of the president's presence. Robert Lansing, the Secretary of State, who had previous tension with Wilson, mistrusted the arrangement they were under. One man in particular, Albert B. Fall, even exclaimed on the Senate floor that, We have a petticoat government! Wilson is not acting! Mrs. Wilson is president! In December 1919, a senator was actually kidnapped by Mexico. Robert and Albert insisted that they meet with the president in person. This was their opportunity to prove their suspicions correct. No more of this communicating through Edith. At this point, it had been months since anyone had talked face-to-face -face with the president. The small circle of trusted confidants, including Edith, Dr. Grayson, and Woodrow Wilson's private secretary, struck up a plan to conceal the extent of Woodrow Wilson's condition. They cleaned up his appearance, put on his favorite sweater, and used a blanket to cover up his left side. They also dimmed the lights in his part of the room to hide how sick he actually appeared. Fortunately, Wilson was having one of his better days and was able to stay coherent during the discussion. It was enough to convince them and the dozens of members of the press waiting outside that the president was in good health and that there was no conspiracy. Edith was relieved when Wilson's term was coming to an end and he was improving, but very slowly. Wilson was a little delusional and thought he could run for a third term. This was mainly because Edith had shut him off to so much bad news. He really didn't understand there was no need to keep fighting and that it was time to step down. Woodrow Wilson would pass in 1924, about three years after he left office. For the remainder of Edith's life, she would work to preserve her husband's legacy. I'm sure she would be ecstatic with the current criticism that they are both facing and the fact that we all know that her husband was a raging racist and that his name has been removed from the Princeton School of Public and International Affairs. On December 28, 1961, Woodrow Wilson's birthday, Edith Wilson would die of congestive heart failure in Washington, D.C. at the age of 89. Some people still believe she overstepped their boundaries. It is rumored that she would actually sign political documents for Woodrow and was more politically involved than some might think. Others say she was just being a good wife. 
she described herself as merely a steward of the presidency. Was Edith Bowling Wilson the first woman to serve as president of the United States? I'll let you be the judge. Until next time. Today's episode was written by Jordan Howard and edited and narrated by Andre White. If you like that episode, consider leaving a rating and review. It goes a long way. Hi, I'm Mike Troy, host of the American Revolution podcast on the Airwave Media Network. This podcast is the origin story of the United States, how we went from colonies ruled by a king to the democratic republic that we have today. The American Revolution podcast tells the story of the revolution from beginning to end. Please subscribe for free. We're available on all major podcast platforms. I hope you will join me today on the American Revolution podcast.